Straits brings legal and business insights at the intersection of the shipping and energy sectors. This podcast series offers trends, developments, challenges and topics of interest from Reed Smith litigation, regulatory and finance lawyers across our network of global offices. If you have any questions about the topics discussed on this podcast, please do contact our speakers. Welcome to our Environmental, Social and Governance ESG podcast, The New and Next. We're going to be hitting on some very interesting and important aspects of ESG, particularly on the environmental and regulatory, as well as antitrust, which you may not have heard about. My name is Carolyn Rosenberg. I'm a partner in the Insurance Recovery Group of Reed Smith, a resident in the Chicago office. And my guests today are Jennifer Smokelin, who is in our Pittsburgh office, who is in the Environmental and Emerging Energy, Greenhouse Gas and Related Environmental Issues, as well as Michelle Mantine, also a partner in our Pittsburgh office, who leads our global antitrust and competition team with passion and purpose. I'm delighted to have uh, our colleagues here today, and we're going to jump right into it. Jennifer, I know you represent um, clients in a broad range of environmental and energy issues, including civil enforcement and litigation, and you've been an integral member of our ESG team with particular focus on environmental and governmental aspects of ESG. Could you tell us what's keeping your clients, our clients, up at night? What are you seeing on the ESG horizon that's new and next in the environmental and governance focus? Thanks, Carolyn. That's a fantastic question, and I love the way you phrase it. What's keeping our clients up at night? I represent commercial enterprises as well as banks, and I think what environmental ESG issues are keeping each up at night is slightly different in each case. If you're a commercial enterprise, I think you're watching greenwashing. I got several phone calls in early July over the airline KLM case, where KLM was sued by Dutch environmental pressure groups, which allege KLM's Fly Responsibly ad campaign amounts to greenwashing in one of the first lawsuits to hit a major airline. Let me tell you a little about this case and why it's concerning. KLM, which is the Dutch arm of Air France KLM, has run ads that allegedly give customers the false impression that its flights won't worsen the climate emergency, allegedly breaching European Union rules. This ad's tagline is, quote, be a hero, fly CO2 zero. But KLM's programs for CO2 zero rely on offsetting and other voluntary programs that customers have to fork out extra money for. KLM says on its website that its customers have the option of donating towards reforestation projects. In exchange, KLM says it buys certified carbon credits for a reforestation project in Panama. These programs are common practice in the aviation industry, with commercially viable alternatives like electric and hydrogen-powered jetliners still at least a decade away technologically, carriers must rely on measures like carbon offsetting to reduce their environmental impact. This case brings into question the usability of carbon offsets as a viable way to reduce emissions. Many commercial enterprises, in addition to airlines, have bought or are considering buying carbon offsets, so they are watching this case carefully. If you're a bank, on the other hand, 
you're thinking all about the ways in which banks' climate exposure will start to feed into their share prices as regulators roll out increasingly tough environmental, social, and governance rules. For now, banks' climate disclosures aren't precise enough to allow meaningful bets on their market values. But with a barrage of requirements being rolled out from climate stress tests to emission reduction disclosure rules, investors should be ready for that to change in a major way. In the event that climate stress tests reveal significant expected losses among banks, then we're talking about starting to integrate into the price discovery mechanisms elements that weren't considered at all in the past. European bank regulators are set to start work later this year on adding climate change risks to the framework for setting capital requirements, marking a shift that would penalize lenders that fail to prepare for losses from extreme weather and the costs of decarbonization. International banks, therefore, will have to deal with any change in capital requirement frameworks as soon as these are passed by the EU. But even domestic lenders are worrying that as goes the EU, so eventually goes the US. So many banking institutions are worried about a major global shift in capital lending requirements. It's very interesting, and it does throw off some potential insurance issues. I know that with regard to the Securities Exchange Commission in the U.S., there are regulatory proposals with regard to climate-related risks. And of course, following the climate-related actions, I'm aware of some research uh, from the London School of Economics Grantham Research Institute on climate change that indicates the number of climate uh, change-related litigation lawsuits around the world has more than doubled since 2015, and roughly one quarter of the 2002 recorded cases to date were filed in the past two years alone. Um, Where that throws off potential insurance coverage issues is really twofold. One, if you are a global company and you are filling out applications for, let's say, directors and officers liability insurance or uh, errors and omissions coverage, and you're asked about your plans and programs, you need to be very careful about what you say on an application because statements can and will be used against you. Similarly, uh, you don't want to be inaccurate or omit anything that's relevant and important for purposes of the underwriting of the insurance risks. And then, of course, you want to be looking at the insurance policies on renewal or when obtaining to make sure there are no specific climate-related or ESG-related exclusions or concerns, and alternatively, watching the markets to see if there are enhancements or other um, ESG-positive enhancements that you would want to get on the programs, because in some cases, these lawsuits can be, and regulatory investigations can be aimed at the actions of uh, directors and officers from a fiduciary perspective and whether they are in fact, you know, acting in the best fiduciary interests of the company in making these representations, whether it's greenwashing or other uh, regulatory considerations. We've been speaking about the environmental ESG aspects and a, perhaps a lesser well-known thought and area is with regard to antitrust. So Michelle, uh, from the antitrust perspective, regulatory or litigation-wise, why and how does antitrust figure into the ESG discussion? 
Thanks, Carolyn. That's a great question. I mean, it really comes down to sort of an overarching principle on the antitrust side. You know, ESG right now really is a driving force behind collaboration, and there's so much good to come out of it, right? But whenever you see any sort of collaboration or group or joint decision making, it's really important for clients to remember that the antitrust rules and laws still do apply. So anytime you have any sort of collaboration with a competitor, right, anything that could potentially raise prices or restrict output, that can be seen or alleged to be an antitrust violation, even without any sort of explicit agreement. And we're seeing with ESG principles, people and companies and our clients wanting to do more in that space collectively. And they need to do so with guidance from counsel to make sure that they don't run afoul of the antitrust laws. What's keeping my clients up at night right now? It's probably during the merger review process, wondering whether and to what extent the antitrust authorities, the Federal Trade Commission or the Department of Justice might ask about ESG issues arising out of a particular transaction. We're seeing that right now more on the Federal Trade Commission side. The Department of Justice has taken a little bit more of a back stance to that for now. But given that those agency heads are new in their roles, it's likely that those types of, of reactions might change and shift a bit. And we might be seeing even more questions going forward. Boards are certainly expecting that. There's many more questions coming out of board members as we're evaluating transactions and their potential competitive effects. We're also seeing you know, a lot of deals or joint collaborations among competitors being analyzed for potential antitrust risk, whether the pro-competitive benefits of that transaction from an ESG perspective outweigh any anti-competitive effects. To that end, the state attorneys generals have been fairly active, right? And they're not, you know, they're industry agnostic. But if they see something that looks like it could be price fixing or market allocation or some sort of boycott, they have been investigating different groups among various industries for potential anti-competitive behavior coming out of ESG efforts, right? The Paris Climate Accord, Climate Action, that's just one example coming out of the Arizona Attorney General's office as of late last year, an investigation there as to antitrust violations coming out of ESG issues. We also saw it a few years ago from the state of California, alleging that certain car manufacturers had entered into agreement on fuel efficiency standards that was potentially violative of the antitrust laws. So it's important for clients and and their representatives to remember that these ESG issues, while often pro-competitive and serving a very important purpose, they can be looked at with antitrust scrutiny and you have to be able to explain why the behavior is pro-competitive and appropriate within that particular industry. That's fascinating. And from an insurance coverage perspective, as I listen to you, the key takeaways would be to make sure that your insurance policy does not have an antitrust exclusion, which it should not have, and to make sure that there could be potential coverage if there is to be some sort of an action, or even in the context of transactions, there's certain insurance reps and warranties and others that often are involved in deals to make sure that various and sundry risks are taken care of. The interesting thing as well is the way in which there are synergies among all of the discussions we've just had, whether it be regulatory investigations, keeping an eye out on litigation or activism kinds of strategy, as well as the implications not only domestically, but internationally. 
we have the benefit of uh, having the opportunity to work together collaboratively, which does provide for enhanced decision-making. But I would assume you would agree that we should be looking at these issues early and often. Any final comments from you, Jennifer, on sort of what what you see on the horizon that uh, may be the new and next as you sit here? Yeah, I think Michelle's comments were quite insightful and folding in your insights, Carolyn, with regard to insurance. I think from an environmental standpoint on ESG, what, what comes to mind is that what's new and next is going to be evolving as time goes on. This is a new area of both regulation and case law, which means the insurers, as I'm sure you'll be able to back up, are evolving their coverage in the area, which means our clients who are staying up worrying about these issues are worrying for good reason. Michelle, any any final thoughts? Thanks, Carolyn. I mean, I couldn't agree with everything you both said and more. I remember um, back in my younger days where insurance coverage on antitrust related issues was almost a non-starter, right? Which is not the case anymore. I think, Carolyn, for the reasons you outlined. And I think as ESG evolves and develops, we will be seeing, you know, more guided court opinions and the like that sort of gear towards what the result will be in potential actions or issues as they come about. But in the meantime, I think it's really important that both outside counsel and our clients are very much aware of these issues and are thinking about them proactively so that when the question arises from a regulator in a deal setting, in a litigation setting and the like, that they are poised to answer it and to be able to explain the conduct in a way that's lawful and appropriate and to advise on exactly what the next steps are in a way, frankly, that's helpful to the regulators. You know, in the current administration, they are very active right now and uh, very inquisitive. And I think the companies that really can explain their actions um, up front quickly and proactively really can gain some benefit there. And they certainly will in this space, the ESG space as well. I, I thank you both very much. And final word on the insurance is that obviously whether something is covered depends on the um, insuring agreements and the ways in which an action or investigation or demand or shareholder proposal or regulatory inquiry may be phrased. But as with our thought leadership we've brought to you today in both the environmental and antitrust, we would love to bring that thought leadership on any insurance issues as we work uh, integrally and collaboratively uh, together to continue to be a source of not only thoughtful leadership on the ESG front, but practical guidance so that we worry these issues and our clients can sleep well at night. Thank you so much. Trading Straits is a Reed Smith production. Our producer is Ali McArdle. For more information about Reed Smith's energy and natural resources or transportation practices, please email tradingstraits at reedsmith.com. You can find our podcast on Spotify, Apple, Google, Stitcher, and reedsmith.com, and our social media accounts at reedsmithllp on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter. This podcast is provided for educational purposes. It does not constitute legal advice and is not intended to establish an attorney-client relationship, nor is it intended to suggest or establish standards of care applicable to particular lawyers in any given situation. Prior results do not guarantee a similar outcome. 
Any views, opinions, or comments made by any external guest speaker are not to be attributed to Reed Smith LLP or its individual lawyers. All rights reserved.